And here we are again with the season four of the Data Science at Home podcast. This time we have something for you. If you want to help us shape the data science leaders of the future, we have created the Data Science at Home's Ambassador program. Ambassadors are volunteers who are passionate about data science and want to give back to our growing community of data science professionals and enthusiasts. You will be instrumental in helping us achieve our goal of raising awareness about the critical role of data science in cutting-edge technologies. If you want to learn more about this program, visit the Ambassadors page on our website at datascienceathome.com. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, your host for the next 20 minutes or so. I'm podcasting from the regular office of Amethix Technologies based in Belgium. In this episode, I would like to uh, report some statements from a very respectable uh, individual like Jeremy Howard, uh, creator of FastAI, uh, also ex-president of uh, Kaggle, uh, who said something uh, very recently in an interview uh, that is going to, let's say, make some people angry or or just disappointed or just pissed. <laughs> well, he, sure, he basically said that uh, research in the deep learning world is a total waste of time. And so, you know, in this, this statement, in fact, is first of all, the statement of a person who knows what he's talking about. I respect Jeremy Howard uh, very, very much. And for those who don't know him, please uh, Google uh, his story, and uh, and you will uh, understand immediately that this is, uh, you know, this is not a charlatan uh, or, or a person who just blabs about things to get to get noticed on the web. And as a matter of fact, he has a point uh, that is definitely undeniable: the fact that there is a lot of research in the deep learning world that is, uh, uh, let's say, useless to say the least, or uh, it's definitely leading nowhere, uh, you know, with respect to the big picture of uh, of artificial intelligence. It's worth spending some minutes uh, about this statement and also uh, share my opinion. I was uh, I've been a researcher myself, uh, so um, I think I can contribute <laughs> if there is a way to contribute to this statement uh, and to uh, give you my personal uh, personal thoughts. Well. There are two things that essentially um, Mr. Jeremy Howard is um, reporting and, uh, uh, and he thinks that, in fact, there is lack of research or lack of interest in these two fields, uh, in particular transfer learning and active learning. And in his opinion, these are the two, you know, two most, not the most important, but very important fields uh, that paradoxically nobody is spending time on. And on this, uh, you know, I'm 100% on board, 100% on the same page here. I do believe transfer learning uh, and active learning are extremely important and uh, uh, definitely would, uh, you know, raise the bar uh, and definitely facilitate or improve a lot of things happening in the deep learning world if these two things are improving or if more effort and more time and more resources would be spent uh, around transfer learning and active learning. And that's true. In the academic world, uh, not so many people are putting, or not so many institutions are putting enough effort on these two things. Um, now, what is transfer learning? Transfer learning is, we, of course, we have covered transfer learning uh, a long time ago on this show, uh, but it's essentially a way, you know, a methodology to 
save some training, uh, some training costs, for example, and uh, move across domains, essentially. Uh, and so having models that can, um, you know, be tuned and be kind of ready for domains uh, in which they were not thought. Uh, for example, you can have uh, a, uh, an image classifier that has been trained on general purpose images, and then you can you know, do transfer learning to adapt that method or that neural network to, for example, medical images or images in a more narrow sector. Um, you know, and, and so you would just retrain, you know, you would transfer uh, the uh, initial or the first layers of the network and then you would tune or retrain completely the last, um, the last layers, you know, and that would save you a lot of time or a lot of costs or a lot of energy uh, when you need to train, for example, a massive neural network of uh, uh, several million parameters or even billions of parameters. Not only that, so not only uh, you save energy, you save costs, uh, you save time uh, when it comes to retraining a network, but transfer learning also helps you dealing with lack of data. In the medical imaging example, uh, definitely gen general purpose images are much more uh, available or much easier available than the medical images. Uh, think about medical images of a particular or a rare disease or disorder, right? So in that case, you know, retraining a network from scratch would definitely lead you nowhere, um, you know, in terms of um, um, uh, accuracy or robustness of the model. Uh, what would help, however, is uh, utilizing or taking advantage of the initial layers of networks trained on the most available images that are out there. And that's why, you know, in this case, you are dealing with lack of data in a smart way, which is indeed using transfer learning. Another important benefit of transfer learning is definitely generalization. You know, if you can uh, transfer the learning or what a neural network learned from one sector to another, it means that, uh, you know, a lot of the inner internal parameters can be reutilized across sectors, across domains, and that's something uh, that leads you towards a better generalization. You know, the fact that the network can uh, still perform, uh, maybe losing a bit of accuracy point in percentage points, but it could still perform in a relatively different uh, scenario, relatively different domain. So, you know, energy, lack of data, moving from one domain to another, generalization, costs, time are all benefits. So. The, the statement of Jeremy Howard is, if all these things are there, like we, we get all these things for free once we put effort in, in, in transfer learning in the, in the field of transfer, why nobody's putting effort on, on it, right? Which, is, which makes sense, you know? Um, another problem is another field that uh, Jeremy Howard th thinks or believes uh, is not uh, gaining, is not getting the attention that it deserves, is active learning. And that's also something that almost nobody's working on it. And that's true. Uh, active learning is uh, very important because you know it allows to, um, let's say, help a neural network or a machine learning model uh, train on data that, first of all, are not there, but um, they can be or they will be annotated by uh, human beings. And so there is kind of a human in the loop um, while, while we train uh, such models. Um, and for some domains, for some particular use cases, having a human in the loop is extremely important. And again, I refer to the medical sector uh, one more time because 
we want humans to be in the loop during training, especially at the beginning when we, we don't really know if that particular machine learning model is going to perform and when it's going to be ready to replace almost entirely, for example, a medical doctor. It's a lot of responsibility that we are putting in the, you know, in the hands, so to speak, of an artificial intelligence. So it, we would better you know, keep the human in the loop uh, during training, which is one of the most critical aspects of, uh, of building a machine learning model. You know, the training part is, uh, in my opinion, much more important than, uh, than uh, designing, for example, the topology. Because in the training, there is a lot that is you know, involved, uh, for example, the, the quality of the data and uh, uh, the unpredictable results that that network can give you, especially at the beginning of the training process. And then all of a sudden or smoothly, the network starts, starts changing behavior uh, according to the data uh, that we feed the network with. Are you ready to advance your career in data science? University of Cincinnati Online offers nationally recognized educational programs in business analytics and information systems. Predictive Analytics Today named UC as the number one master data science school in the country and is nationally recognized with a proven track record of placing students at high-profile companies such as Google, Amazon, and Procter & Gamble. University of Cincinnati Online's Master IS program offers innovative curriculum that helps students build their core competences in enterprise resource planning, business intelligence, database design and modeling, and project management. Their Master's in Business Analytics program provides students with expertise in descriptive, predictive, and prescriptive analytics using real-world data, providing a pathway to a career in data science. University of Cincinnati Online's Business Analytics and Information Systems Master's program have the most affordable tuition rates in the United States and high job placement rates post-graduation. Discover more about the University of Cincinnati's 100% online master's degree programs at online.uc.edu slash O-B-A-I-S. That's online.uc.edu slash O-B-A-I-S. Or just check the link in the show notes of this episode. This statement, of course, uh, opens, uh, you know, it's kind of provocative. I, I read it in, you know, across these lines. Um, uh, I think it's a provocation because Jeremy Howard is a very intelligent person. And uh, it didn't, in my opinion, he didn't throw it, uh, you know, just for the sake of, uh, of getting on the news. Um, but... Uh, he definitely was provocative with that statement. And I think, or at least that's how I, I've interpreted his interview, um, it, there is a problem in academic research and industry. Uh, there is not enough bound between the two, unfortunately. Um, and that's you know something that we know uh, is the case. Um, and it's not something that has been uh you know has appeared only in the last few few years you know it's something that has always been like that more or less in every country in every continent uh, so in my opinion academic research and industry are not necessarily bound in fact um and i would i would add, I would add unfortunately uh, but some other times it's quite impossible to bind these two worlds or fill that gap between these two very diverse worlds that have a, uh, you know, very different objectives, in fact. And so uh, the fact that there's no active research in transfer learning and active learning uh, 
is probably because academia doesn't have that need um, that, in fact, is, for example, felt by the industry, the industrial world. In industry, there is a need for transfer learning and active learning. Don't forget that many companies out there kind of reinvent the wheel all the time for their particular use case. And so we have seen this over and over again in different sectors. They take a neural network from, from uh, you know, an online repository um, and they tweak and tune it and change the topology and, and tailor to their needs, you know, to the need of the, uh, of the business use case. Be it fintech, be it healthcare, pharmaceuticals, um, insure tech or automotive. So in my opinion, uh, and that's kind of a consequence of what Jeremy Howard is saying, um, nobody's bleeding for that problem in academia. Nobody's bleeding for the lack of transfer learning and active learning. And that's my opinion is the reason why these two fields are not really trendy uh, in, uh, in the academic world. Also, I have to say something about academia. You know, I've been a researcher myself. I've some, I've, I also published on internationally peer-reviewed papers uh, back in the days. And, um, you know, probably my point of view is a bit outdated now, though I don't believe that. But um, academia produces something that has to be publishable in a way, um, that is usually novel, uh, that improves on some state of the art, uh, even not necessarily in a critical way. Uh, we have seen micro improvements on everything. You know, um, we have a research group that publishes something, claims that it improved 0. Point something percent over, uh, over the state of the art. Um, and so, you know, that's the way, you know, that's the currency that academia, academia takes and considers for publications. At least that was the currency uh, in my days. Uh, which is several years ago. It's not, you know, decades. Um, but more importantly, um, academia needs something that is scientifically sound, right? And, you know, can be explained with the tools that are pertinent to academics. And so they try to uh, explain something that can be, you know, can be represented with a formula, uh, a method that is sound, can can that can be proved as you as you prove a theorem, right? That's the currency. That's the language uh, academia wants to talk, uh, which is not necessarily the same language. In fact, it's never the same language that the industrial world uh, wants to wants to speak. Now there have been several attempts to explain deep learning uh, with uh, more consolidated uh, methods or or. Uh, in a mathematically rigorous fashion, um, and they all failed, to the best of my knowledge. Um, we have been trying to, for example, compare or explain uh, deep learning with thermodynamics or theoretical physics. Then we, some people even with equilibria, uh, game theory. Uh, maybe I'm going to make an episode about all these things, but there, are, there have been used a lot of theoretical concepts to, you know, borrowed from other disciplines, usually physics, uh, to explain uh, to explain deep learning, and um, you know the problem of deep learning is that many deep learning concepts are uh, not you know not fully mathematically rigorous, as one can say, for example, for physics or for abstract mathematics or pure mathematics. Um, you know, there's no formula that tells you 
if the data is in this shape and the topology of the network is in this other shape, then you're going to get this, uh, you know, as a formula. And, so th and that's a problem, you know, because that's what academia wants. And, and deep learning is definitely not that. Deep learning can offer everything but um, a way to, to, be, to be formalized. Um, regardless of the attempts that have been, of course, by the community, and we, are, we have to be very grateful, uh, you know, for these research groups that have tried their best to, um, to make deep learning, you know, to formalize the concept of behind deep learning. Function optimization, for example, has been seen as uh, an energy minimization problem in physics. So, you know, we, we can name many, many uh, scenarios in which um, we take some, you know, mature uh, or very consolidated theory from academia and we, you know, try to utilize it for, uh, you know, to explain uh, deep learning and neural networks. That's a matter of fact. Now, behind the statement of... Uh, of uh, Jeremy Howard, uh, of course, I don't really have, I'm, I'm not in the position to say who's right, who's wrong. Uh, it's definitely provocative. It's definitely something that, uh, you know, it gives you food for thought. Um, and a debate should be open about this, uh, if, we, if, we, if we will. But it doesn't have to raise an eyebrow in, in that respect, in my opinion, because, uh, you know, we have been doing this for uh, several decades decades now. I see uh, an analogy with, for example, computer programming. Uh, now, academia taught me the basic constructs, the data structures and the algorithms courses that I had. Um, another one on the theory of compilers, uh, the pumping lemma or whatever other concept, you know, academic concept you might think of. But at the end of the day, the actual programming language constructs were left to, let's say, my passion, my time. It was not something that was taught in academia. And it should stay like that. So I, I, I see an analogy there with deep learning and, uh, and um, you know, academic research in deep learning. Uh, I agree with Jeremy that, indeed, um, you know, there is some sort of incompatibility with what is the objective of uh, the academic world with respect to what the objective of uh, uh, deep learning models would be. Um, but I would not say it's a total waste of time, that's for sure. Uh, you know, if you asked me, is researching deep learning a waste of time? I would say not always. I would not say no, because it is <laughs> sometimes, but not always. Um, many of the concepts related to, for example, function optimization are mostly coming from academic effort. Uh, some other micro-optimizations on network topology. Uh, I've seen, you know, dozens and dozens of papers where they literally uh, slightly change the topology of a network and they, boom, they have a new paper. Well, these are truly experimental uh, and probably, yes, um, doing academic research around these, you know, very narrow concepts would be a waste of time, uh, in, my, in my opinion, but not entirely. You know, um, I would definitely keep in mind the intrinsic gap, let's say, between academia and industry that, in my opinion, is uh, definitely here to stay. Well, that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening. I'll, I'll speak with you next time. 
You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.